1: Hey everybody, welcome to season three of Just Getting Started right here on the Cumulus Podcast Network. I am your humble host, Rich Eisen. Seasons one and two in the books. It's been a uh, fun podcast that I, uh, I just got started back at the height of the pandemic when life was completely upside down. And I figured, you know what, why not start a podcast in which Uh, The guests come on and tell their stories, their origin stories about how they just got started and whatever they do for a living or if they changed um, professional horses midstream at any point in time, how they did that, why they did that, what sort of um, pitfalls they overcame just so maybe you can have something portable in your lives to just get started on something new or just get started on plowing through this crazy ass world of ours. And the first season uh was a total blast. You can go check out the first season of it where I kind of plumbed the depths of uh of my guest Rolodex and got some um some folks to to tell their stories from all over the map from my buddy Pat McAfee to the Novelist Harlan Coben, Dr. Anthony Fauci told his origin story and how he just got started, the actress Juliana Margulies. And then last year uh, for um, season two, it it wrapped up with the voices of the NFL, 10 of my colleagues in the NFL who call games for a living or do what I do for a living, talking about the NFL every single day, and Al Michaels and Jim Nance and Joe Buck. Uh, Amy Trask, the longtime executive of the Raiders, now with CBS. My buddy Adam Schefter, so on and so forth, told all of their origin stories. And now it's time for season three. And my first guest of season three happens to be the new host of this podcast, who's going to be hosting this podcast from this moment on. And she is a longtime broadcaster in the sports world. Uh, And I know her extremely well because I've been married to her. For 19 years, and she is the mother of our three beautiful children, Susie Schuster. Hi, Susie. How are you?
0: I don't know if you can see, but in the background, every so often, our three dogs—well, two plus my mother's dog—yes, let themselves into my office. So bear with me. There may be some intermittent barking going on, but you know what? Mm -hmm. Can you do when when one tries to juggle as one does taking over, just getting started.
1: Well, you know what, uh, I think uh fans of this podcast might have heard barking dogs in the background every now and then or erstwhile producer Major Domo Lou Pellegrino and uh might have been uh making sure that the dogs don't don't make air. So, um if anybody wonders who let the dogs out, it's the the, the people who let them in. So, um I think a great way to maybe start this hon is to tell how you got started because I mean, part of this pod over the last 2 years is me mixing in my stories of my origin stories of how I got started in the business. and you've got um one of the most unique stories of how you got started uh, from talking your way into a job in the number two media market in the United States in Los Angeles, and who kind of inspired you to do it. So I know the story um, and uh, I figured you should tell it
0: you know it's funny as as we're talking here, I'm thinking, I'm actually just getting started on this, too, because I'm in a midlife renaissance as well, so maybe I am the right person to take over this podcast. But I got started in broadcast journalism my senior year in college. I went to school in New York City, and there was an ad up for a uh, an intern at CBS Sports. At the time, I was planning on going to study British history, or maybe have a career in art history, but I grew up in Boston. My brother, Scott, um... Uh, obsessed with all things sports, as one is one to do in Boston. They throw you out if you don't love sports, and so I had an. In- I actually talked my way into an internship at CBS Sports. I snuck past the security guard at BlackRock. Uh, a great guy. Uh, it's true. I actually said I was going to the 11th floor, and, and, and a great guy hired oh, me. Oh, I know
1: and- it's true. I've seen you do stuff like this in many different countries around the world, Suz. Well, I mean,
0: no, not gonna lie. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, 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 I got a job as a researcher. Uh, they told me if I could pay my way to Charlotte, I could be an intern, uh, for the final four. And I remember I had to write down the starting five of the Arizona, uh, uh sorry, I well, it was Arizona too. It was Arizona, Arkansas. God, who was it? 94, Arizona, Arkansas, somebody else. would. I'll look
1: it up. You could take care That's what go- I've got the Google. You've got the story. Keep going. I
0: had to call my brother and ha- and write down the starting five of the, Arkansas Razorbacks uh, on a Delta napkin. So I knew who was playing. Corliss Williamson was one of the players. You don't forget that name or that face. And it was no right. one of course. So I went, I went from that one. Um, I had that internship. I went there. I stayed at a friend's at my mom's house that I didn't even know. Turns out I really didn't have an internship that Brent, uh, my, uh, my boss, just wanted me to hang out with him. And so uh, at one point, I, I was sitting around all weekend doing nothing. At one point, they said, do you want to take a camera around and look for celebrities in the crowd? I spotted Sandy Koufax. I said, hey, guys, I've, I've got Sandy Koufax. They said, well, how do you know who he is? I said, of course I do. It's Sandy Koufax. Uh, and that, that gave them a little bit more um, confidence in me to do more over the weekend. Leslie Visser took me under her wing. I still have a photograph of her with me um, wearing one of her ubiquitous red jackets. And she gave me great advice. She gave me her cell phone number. And Leslie Visser helped me get going. She actually got me in touch with, um, after my first job, I was looking to get back into into sports, period, because I couldn't get a job in sports out of college. I worked in news for a couple years. She put me in touch with Vince Doria, her old Boston Globe friend at ESPN. And he hired me as an associate producer at ESPN because they wanted someone with a news background, not just some junkie. At the time, I don't know if people have heard about this, but when you got interviewed for even a production assistant job, it was normally by John Walsh. Yeah,
1: the the, the grandfather of of SportsCenter. Yeah.
0: and He would quiz you. He'd give you five um, oh, yeah. questions, esoteric questions about sports. Who was the starting five of the 78? Celtics, you name it. So I walked in, I shook his hand. I said, look, if you're going to ask me questions, let's just stop now. I won't know the answer. But if you give me this job, I guarantee you not only will I find out the answer faster than anybody else, but I'll also book them all for a show within an hour. He's like, "Okay, you're hired." I did ESPN for a couple of years. Met you.
1: Well, hold on a second. Wait a minute. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. So that I'd never heard before, because yeah. you know, I I when I well when I got the call in Redding, California, pretty much a few months before this whole thing happened with you. And by the way, the final four that year was Arkansas, Duke, Arizona and Florida.
0: Florida. So,
1: your memory served you right for half. And so, um you know, Corliss Williamson was the the most outstanding player. Yeah, the 40 minutes of hell that we have seen our 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 son Cooper unleash in his uh in his uh, fifth grade basketball game the other day. Um so But I remember when I was in Redding, California, and they called me, ESPN called me up, and I've told that story back in season two where I got the phone call at work and um, for for my my local TV. So I I knew I would have to go and audition. I had heard the same thing that you had heard, that they quiz you, that they give you like a a quiz, like the movie Diner, you know, in the basement where – you need to pass that quiz. And if you do, that's then you can get married to basically ESPN. You know, and so I was deathly afraid of that. And I had on my mirror in my bathroom in the small, you know, um one bedroom that I had in Reading, I I taped to my mirror all the trophies that the NHL gives out at the end of the season because the hockey was my, my Achilles heel, you know? Sure. So like the Vezina trophies for the best, you know, goalie and the heart trophy and the lady Bing for, um, sportsmanship and whatever. And I had them. And every single day when I shaved and, you know, exfoliated, um, I, as I'm in front of the mirror, uh, I'm, and for those listening, uh, Susie gave me a look there. So uh, I, I, I would, tr- I would study it, but when it came down to it, they never quizzed me. I never got the quiz. That's I just got the audition, which scared the hell out of me. But um, I love the fact that you basically said, "Don't even quiz me. I'll get it wrong." But you hire me. I'll get everything else right. I, I, I I'd never heard that before.
0: Uh, if someone were to say to me. I need the starting five of the Sixers stat. I'd say, Doelle Embiid. I study. That's how I do things. I study. Well, now you know it's (laughs) hard. Well, now I know. Uh, I mean, that's helpful. But he's not playing. Not yet. Not yet. Anyway, my point is, is that, you know, I, I'm different than the normal sports reporter. I, I, I approach it differently. Anyway, I, I'm not a thesaurus. My brother's a thesaurus of information. Right. I'm not that way. Sally Jenkins, the esteemed Washington Post reporter, once said men and women learn about sports differently and care about sports differently. Men care about down and distance. Women care about how hot the field was when Corey Stringer died. I'm in that I'm in that area. I love the stories. I love the guys playing. I like and the women playing. I, I love Excellent. care
1: about I've seen you care about down and distance too, you know. Well, I mean care about
0: if, that, if, so. if if it's the Patriots, yeah. I mean, right. I'm not, that's right. I'm not an idiot. But you know, but like for instance, um I think I just lost my train of thought. I was going to tell you something. No, say, I, so, I I uh, <laughs> Thank you for that. Wait a minute, what was it? It was so smart. So no, perfect.
1: no, we, you were you were just I interrupted you when you were you were getting to the part about, you know, working on Sunday morning sports center and that's when I met you because I was working on the nightly sports center and you were there for How long was it before 1 year you,
0: and 9 months exactly that I was in Bristol, Connecticut.
1: Yeah. Uh yeah, you were you you kind of, you know, were not one and done, but you know and and you were driving back and forth from New York City because you didn't really want to live up there in Central Connecticut like the rest of us who were you know kind of uh, enclosed in in that social life. but um, so then you went from there to real sports and that's where you had this big moment for your career where you realized producing isn't really what you wanted to do anymore. Well, and ironically, I story.
0: ironically, ironically, it was at, it was at ESPN. I had found, um, I was researching a story on Marshall on the plane crash Right. and I was doing it for a sports center and, um, I found the only man who didn't get on the plane the night that the, that the plane crashed and exploded in the field outside of Huntington, West Virginia. And, um, oh God, so this is what stinks. Lou was his first name and I'm forgetting it now, but. To make a long story short, I flew down to Huntington, West Virginia. I convinced this gentleman who had never spoken. He was so heartbroken, so, so disconsoled after he had made a decision not to get on the plane crash. He went to go visit some family. The plane took off. The entire team was lost in this fiery plane crash in the hills of Huntington, West Virginia. Uh, Red Dawson was his name. Red Dawson. And I convinced him to speak for the first time ever. It was a big deal. Uh, it actually inspired them to go on and do the movie. We we uh, we are Marshall, uh, and um, they. I went and did the interview with him. I interviewed Chad Pennington, Randy Moss, you name it. And then a reporter came and sat down in the chair. I asked questions over her shoulder. Um, I wrote the script. She voiced it over, and she reported it. And and the story was reported by. I never got over it. It was heartbreaking. So I said, I have a, I have a voice here. I have a story to tell and damn it. I'm going to do it myself. Uh, I knew that I didn't have a chance for a break yet. And so when I got the opportunity to go to real sports, which was the best job I ever had, hands down, uh, I, I took it. I had so much pride working for Bryant Gumbel and for Ross Greenberg and,
1: um, uh,
0: the entire staff there, it was so thrilling. You walk into a room and you're with Real Sports. You just felt like, it's like 60 minutes. Like you, the, the pride you took because you knew you were going to do the best job possible. The shows were perfect. Every time you had to present your story to Ross Greenberg. You had to give a, a reason for every cut, every edit. It was very thrilling. I traveled Europe with Frank DeFord doing a piece on the San Antonio. Uh, <laughs> doing the, uh, the uh, did, so- Throughout
1: the season, you've got to tell stor- th- that, that story about traveling Europe, covering the IOC and all of that with Frank DeFord and – his, you know, tweed jackets and pocket squares and, and, and five-star hotels. And you got to tell those stories. We also
0: insisted on a, um, a Bentley driven, uh, chauffeur in London, which not bad. We went to fabulous <laughs> dinners and drink gorgeous bottles of wine, but it was the interview. Um, it was the piece on John McEnroe that actually got me going. I had pitched an idea. Uh, let's let's profile John McEnroe, the man, the legend, the art collector, the critic—you name it—and um, it was it was me and it was um, Jim Lampley. And I could tell from the first second we got in the room that Lamps and McEnroe were two giant egos that were clashing, and they just didn't like each other. Like you could see it. Like you know how John hides his feelings so well uh you could sense the um just that just he just he just didn't like him and it you could sense it in the interviews so I thought I, I'll just leave lamps at home for the rest of the interviews flew to florida to go interview him he was doing the senior tour at the time and we were um doing an interview after one of the matches he looks at me he goes what's your problem I'm like what are you talking about I said what's wrong with you? And you can hear that tone of John saying, what's wrong with you? You ask better questions than Jim Lampley. Why aren't you on the air? You're a girl. You're smart. You're cute. Thank you, John. And he said, let's do an interview right now. He's like, turn around. Ask me questions. Shoot her first. John McEnroe is responsible for my honorary career there. I said it. Uh, Every time he sees me, he says, you owe me 10%. I say, I didn't make that much. And so Basically, whenever I'd see him in a Lakers game, he'd say, you owe me 10%. You owe me 10%. He used to say that to you all the time. You know, I'm, your wife's on the air because of me. And he's not wrong because he, he made my resume reel. I then went and borrowed a camera, shot my resume reel at Yankee Stadium because I was friends with him having covered the team for so many years, and went across to the park across the street, made um, a couple stand-ups there. Steve Burton, my friend from WBZ in Boston, let me borrow his. Did a couple stand-ups after a Patriots game. William McGinnis still remembers me as a kid working for Dan Shaughnessy, like getting questions with him and Chris Slade when they were the linebacking corps. I cut a couple corners, I'm not going to lie. It was like, who was the old coach who tried to get the job at Notre Dame and then lied on his resume and got tossed out? I mean, there were a couple, like, sure, I've got tons of on-air experience, which was the line that I used when I got my first job on the air with Fox Sportsnet. I came out here doing a uh, feature on Kobe Bryant, um, James Brown was my host, and uh, they were launching Fox Sportsnet. I said, you know what? That sounds like a great idea. And <sighs> I was doing the crazy thing. I, 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 made it, I called up, cold called, said, I'm, I'm a producer, reporter with Real Sports, and I'd love to talk to you about this Fox Sportsnet thing you're launching. And Milt Weiss was um, the gentleman who was running at the time. I said to him, I've got tons of on-air experience, but I'm really working on my producing skills at real sports. He said, okay, you're hired.
1: With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with
0: obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart.
1: You know what? And I just remember, throughout this entire process, I'm there at Sports Center, right, um, and sitting up there in Central Connecticut, living my life, still staying in touch with that producer who I met, who I wanted to date from the first minute I met her in the newsroom, and she just still wanted to be friends with me. So I, I, I wanted, I wanted to, you know, be more than just friends with her. And then, you know, after two, three years of that. Uh, We finally did start to date at that very moment. That's when she says to me, you know, I, I, you know, I've always wanted to be on air on television. I got a job in Los Angeles. (laughs) What? What? And I'm like, you're going to move to Los Angeles to do what? You're going to anchor the Southern California sports report for this new regional sports network out in Los Angeles for Fox sports. You're going to do what?
0: This and is that's what you did. For 3 years of being best friends we were best friends.
1: I remember that we were in Central Park walking your mom's you know uh the golden retriever at the time Teddy now this is a, a much more uh smaller dog that we hear sometimes in the background of this conversation. Um I remember that, but I do know that you that was what you always wanted to do and that's what this podcast is about and that's what makes you a perfect host for it is that what you just told is a, it's like a lunar landing, you know, it's like a moonshot, like to do that, to, to, to be told by a legendary tennis player, why aren't you doing this thing? And then you taking that to heart on top of you having an experience where you didn't get to do something uh, on the air and um, wanting to do it yourself, and you did it yourself, except for the on-air part, and you made it happen, albeit in a very seemingly uh, underhanded way, to be very honest. Um, but whatever you, you know, you got on the air and then and then you were here in Los Angeles for easily the greatest sports era, you know, of modern times in this town, you know, where, obviously Showtime Lakers and, you know, you've got the Dodgers of the eighties at the same time, but you covered it all.
0: God, I, so what was so cool about it was, and then this is what I will say for all of you who who are uh, afraid or doubting yourself. I was so nervous about being found out that my first piece for the Southern California Sports Report on Fox Sports Net was a, a piece on the Anaheim Angels. I was so nervous I didn't shoot a stand up, but I just didn't, was hoping that they wouldn't notice because I really didn't have the. Exp- I mean, I could do it, but I, I was so nervous. I said, Oh, you know, I don't want to be, I'm not selfish. I don't have to be on camera all the time. It was because I was too nervous. They said, No, you need to shoot a stand up.
1: Like, meaning, for those who don't know, that's you just standing on camera shooting like an, um, you know, Finishing up the report or in the middle of it, you're just standing there on camera, continuing your reporting or wrapping it up for the regional California sports report.
0: I had to drive to the Rancho Park golf course and make it look like Anaheim <laughs> and stand there like a jackass.
1: <laughs> Nothing looks like Anaheim there. Nothing. Nothing. I don't
0: know what I'm like, all right, for the regional Southern California sports report, I'm Susie Schuster from Anaheim.
1: That's not that doesn't work. I did. Well, I just remember again, I'm doing Sports Center, and it's two, you know, 40 in the morning. I'm sitting there on the set. Stuart Scott's to my right, and we have all the television sets from around the country, sporting events around the country, you know, and Shaq and Kobe finish wiping the floor with the trailblazers or something. And I look up and there you are doing something, or you're on the set of your show and Stuart would be like nudging me, like, look who that is. I'm like, yeah, I, I know, you know, or the, the uh when the angels won the world series or Pete Carroll, you know, mm-hmm. took over, you, you were there when Paul Hackett, whose son is now the head coach of the Denver Broncos, you know, so you were there when Paul Hackett took over, I mean, handed things over to, he got bounced and they hired somebody from outside the program named Pete Carroll, you know, yeah. and, my God, you had like a horseshoe.
0: There was a there was a nice kid named Carson Palmer who was That's the right. uh, quarterback of the uh, USC Trojans, and and Hackett's playbook was the old Jets playbook. It was so thick, and Carson was so befuddled he just couldn't handle it. And so Pete Carroll came in. He threw everything out. He simplified things down for Carson Palmer so that he understood them and rebuilt his confidence, because Carson was a kid from Southern California He was from one of those Rancho Santa something or others. And he basically had lost all of his confidence during the Hackett years. I mean, really just, he was a shell of himself. And Pete Carroll, like I said, expunged everything Hackett-related and rebuilt the Trojan program. Ty it was the uh, running backs coach, and he had Reggie Bush on one side, Lendell White on the other, and he had... Um, an outstanding group of linemen and they gave him confidence and the plays became simplified and I'd known Pete for five seconds in New England. So when I saw him, I said, Hey, remember me? He's like, Oh my God, how are you? He was so fantastic. He gave me inside track. I mean, I worked really hard, but it was nice having that connection. And as for the angels, the year they uh, won the world series, they started six and 14 and there's nothing like being with a team for when they're terrible, that lets you elevate to a certain place when they're great. Because I knew every night, I'd go into Mike Sosha's office, I'm like, all right, Skip, I gotta do this. This interview, I know. All right, in three, two, and one. All right, everybody, thank you so much. Here I am with Mike Soja. And Mike, a heartbreaking loss last night to or tonight to the Diamondbacks, 7-1. What happened in the third inning that lost your steam? I mean, you know, you make up whatever it is. You sound like a, you know, and every night it was a losing interview. And then suddenly things changed, and suddenly things changed. Then Frankie Rodriguez came in. Troy Percival started crushing it as their closer. Frankie was probably 75 years old at the time. But they thought he was about 17 and uh I'll never forget it was Scott Spezio, Tim Salmon Choy, Gloss Scott
1: Spezio. That's yeah. the first time in any season of Just Getting Started that name's been mentioned. Yeah. I have not Tim- heard that name oh, yeah. in forever. Um, and I remember Darren Erstad. you know, like he was one of the, you were like one of the few people he actually liked, you know. Like he was a tough guy, that guy.
0: That's he, that's still for debate. I mean he would never talk to me. I and just really stern and And then one day I'm sitting in in Dodger Stadium for a freeway series and I'm writing my notes and somebody kicks my chair. I look up, it's Darren. He says, you didn't tell me that Rich Eisen was your boyfriend. (laughs) I never asked.
1: Oh, that's right. I'm sorry. I'm misconstruing Darren Erstad with Barry Bonds. You were one of the, you are the only person Barry would talk to and still to this very day. And I think that's what everyone's going to figure out here on this pod is that Susie's uh, your, your Rolodex is deeper than mine. Um, and that's, what's pretty cool. So um, your the guest list is going to be diverse and it's going to be um, terrific. And uh, the same pod is going to unfold And I am so happy that you are doing this. So why don't you come across the hall, take the chair, and tell everyone who your guests or booked guests are going to be. Here's what I'll do is I'll tap dance. She's going to let the dogs in first. My God. You'd see right here, as she's letting the dogs in. Um, These dogs follow her everywhere. The latest example of what a great heart she has. If dogs follow you everywhere. Oh, boy. Wait a minute. I think I, I locked the door. Hold on a minute. Hold on. That's not a metaphor for anything.
0: Are you, are you going to sit with me or am I just taking no, over? over? How's the lighting in here? I mean, I'm vain, well, you know, vain enough to do a podcast without hair and makeup on, but that's okay. So let me just tell you who's coming up because I'm excited to share this with you. And like I said earlier, I'm restarting too. I stopped working on the air full-time when I had our three kids, and I found it really hard to go back uh, full-time because Rich works like a dog, 17 jobs or so, and it's very hard to be a mom and also have a husband who works all the time and actually raise three kids, so I stopped working on the air full-time. I just started going back to work, but I started a production company um, because I needed something to do, but I had to reinvent too. I had to find something new to do. I had to just get started with my company and I know how hard that is and how daunting it is. And oftentimes I'd say like the frozen caveman lawyer, like, I don't understand your world. I'm not from your world of make-believe television and uh, it's daunting, it's hard. And that was why when Rich and Westwood won asked me if I would want him to do this, if I wanted to do this, I said, absolutely, because I know just how hard it can be to just get started. So I thought for the first year, first season, that I'd mix it up a bit, much like Rich did, try to bring you people I thought were diverse and different and maybe interesting. And that's why I started off with Jeffrey Ross, the comedian, because I love him so much Because I think he's hysterical, because he's foul and filthy, and yet the kindest human being in the world, the roast master general. And we both um, lost our friend Bob Saget recently, and I thought it would be cathartic for both of us to talk that through with you guys, share our thoughts on Bob, but also ask Jeffrey how did he get started? And you'd be amazed he was not planning on being a comedian, but he had balls and. He took some risks and I think has become one of the preeminent comedians there is. He just got back from a trip to Paris with Chris Rock and with Dave Chappelle. I luckily told him where to go, Angelina, for one of the best sandwiches and hot chocolate in all of Paris. But he's going to be our first guest on just getting started here on Westwood One, and we are thrilled to have him. He'll be followed up by Nick Mohammed, who is from... One of our favorite shows, I think it's fair to say probably yours as well, Ted Lasso. Uh, And he's going to be one of the most important characters in this upcoming season. Obviously, we saw him. He's the clubhouse. um, He was originally just the towel guy, right? And he made his way up and became the coach who got angry and stormed off and dyed his hair gray and now is the manager of the opposing team, uh, Hannah Waddington's husband's team. And we'll see him. We'll talk to him about how he got started. Stephen A. Smith is guest number three. He uh, was my old friend. I knew Stephen A. Smith when he was just Stephen Smith. And when he was just getting started, he was um, at Fox Sports. And he had a take and a voice and thoughts and opinions. He came from the world of writing. And we've been friends ever since. And I love Watching his meteoric rise. He may be the most important person in media right now. So he will be guest number three, followed by Michael Irvin, who's guest number four, who is my friend before riches. There, I said it. Michael was at our wedding in a 10 piece blue suit. He uh, stuck out, it was fabulous. I was um, thrilled to have him on my side of the aisle. And then, you know, we've got a bunch of other asks out. I have a bunch of actors. I'm basically making Paul Rudd do it. Sorry, Paul, do you know that you're doing it? I'm making a couple other friends of ours who are big time actors and actresses do it because I think they have great stories. And I want this to be inspirational. Life is really hard right now. And it takes a lot of balls to try something new or to get going at all. So I'm hoping that we have something inspirational and fun. I'm hoping that you'll laugh. I was amazed at how dark things got in our first episode. I think that will be important for everyone to hear as well because things aren't always perfect and life is not always perfect. And sometimes you just need a little push, just a little bit of help, someone to reach out their hand and pull you along or to push you from behind and say, you can do this. And I'm hoping that's what you're going to get from just getting started. So with that, I will sign off as the host of Just Getting Started, I'm thrilled that you guys were all listening to this today. I also want to say, I would hope that you'll reach out and tell me who you want to hear from. And if you have thoughts and comments, if they're nasty, I will ignore them. I have thick skin from doing this for a long time. Not that thick, but I'd love to hear your thoughts. If you have questions, if you know someone's coming up, ping me questions. I'll ask them and throw your name out there and give you the credit that you deserve for coming up with them but I'm looking forward to being with you and to growing this alongside with you. So with that, I'll say thanks and talk to you at the next episode.